Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. In Chorley. Yes, uh, I finally made it. It's taken me 38 years to actually get to Chorley. Uh, maybe a bit longer. Um, uh, with the reason being that Lindsay Hoyle, common speaker and MP for Chorley, is hosting a conference in Chorley this weekend with parliamentary speakers, including Nancy Pelosi who uh, the US uh, House of Representatives uh, speaker, they're all coming to Chorley to talk about how you protect parliaments and so on, uh, uh, while also letting voters in to meet the people that they elect. So that's why we're in Chorley. We've had a lot of fun. I've been to the football ground, I've been to the theatre. Uh, in a moment, you'll be able to hear me uh, going on a walkabout in Chorley with Lindsay Hoyle. You'll also be able to hear me speaking to Steve Pemberton from the League of Gentlemen. He grew up in Chorley, and he'll reveal uh, which uh, character from the League of Gentlemen is based on his teacher from Surely. But first, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel. It's James Forsyth, columnist for The Times, political editor of The Spectator. And we've also got Nicola Adam, associate editor of The Lancashire Post and editor of The Blackpool Gazette. I suppose we should talk about what is happening on your patch, first of all. How big a deal is it that this G7 summit is happening well, it's, in Chorley. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? I and mean, we've got, we've had divers in the, the pond and we've had... Um, divers in the, the pond. pond? And we've had security men down the manholes and, you know, all the roads are sort of closed off. It's very exciting for Chorley and it's just a huge thing. Who would have thought that little Chorley would have all these uh, hugely important speakers coming in? It's just, it's amazing. And actually, because there was part of me thought, it's a bit niche, this parliamentary speaker, <laughs> a meeting of parliamentary speakers. Yeah. Partly Nancy Pelosi bring, brings a bit of sort of yeah. US stardust. But people are really talking about it's really buzzing in the town yeah and actually i think it was nancy pelosi's idea she yeah. suggested it to, to lindsay hoyle and yeah it's, it's it's amazing honestly it's a real buzz it's really exciting uh, james forsyth what do you make of uh, of the fact that particularly lindsay's the reason that this was all the agenda for the meeting one of the things they're really discussing is how do you protect parliaments given what happened the terror attack in westminster given what happened at the, the capital uh, riots earlier this year versus making sure that people have access to uh, you know, their, their parliamentarians, wherever that may be. It's, quite, it's a big issue, this, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it is one of the most complex trade-offs, which is you, know, you could protect these places by putting up you know, concrete barriers, huge amounts of barbed wire. But you know, these are the people's house. You know, and if you block them off from the public, that obviously is, is, is not going to do anything to, cre- to create a sense that you know, these are the people's representatives, they are, they are part of us. Uh, and so I think that is that is the challenge. I, I do sometimes worry, and I think you saw this at, at the Capitol, um, that the, 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 the policing can sometimes... I think you need more in reserve for when trouble comes. And I think that is that is something that they need to address. Yeah, you could have a light touch for sort of 
when times are good, but you need slightly more than some people in some high vis when things uh, turn bad. Yeah. What, one of the things that Lindsay, because I, I spoke, went on a tour of the, the market earlier on with Lindsay Hall, we'll hear that a bit later. Uh, one of the things he was talking about was social media companies and the role that they play, both in, you know, actually quite a lot of the capital rights seem to have been organised on social media and the threats that MPs get. And uh, obviously, you know, uh, uh, Joe Cox obviously was sadly uh, murdered. Her sister's now in the House of Commons in her old seat. James, what, what do you think more could be done in terms of regulating social media? I, I think that there should be, I think the social media companies should be far more aggressive in taking down death threats in blocking accounts that send this stuff out. I think also we shouldn't underestimate the, the psychological effects of this. I remember talking to one veteran MP about this, and he said, look, you know, back in the day, you got far fewer death threats. And when you did, you know, they were kind of cut out letters from the newspaper, and you got it when you turned up to your office. He was saying that what it was so affecting the kind of uh, the, the well-being of, of MPs nowadays is you get it on your phone. So you're in your bedroom and suddenly, you know, a Twitter message pops up saying, I'm coming to, you know, uh, do various un you know, horrible things. And I think that feels much more direct to people. And I think that is one of the challenges is, is it feels more personal when you receive it in your own house rather than receiving it, you know, when you come into your office and your secretary saying, I'm terribly sorry, you've got this horrible thing and I've, you know, I've alerted the police to it. I think that is one of the challenges. And Nicola, what about, we talk quite a lot about, you know, the abuse that MPs get. Uh, national journalists love talking about the amount of abuse they get. What's it like being a regional journalist? And I think it's exactly the same. I mean, yeah, these, we're talking about it as a threat to democracy, but actually it's a threat to people's lives every day, you know, including, yeah. you know, us journalists. We're out there every day. Everybody knows our names. When it's local, it's that much more personal, um, I think. Um, but it's, it's a huge problem for us. And actually, it's, it's impacting our recruitment of young journalists to the industry. Is it? The, the, um, the people kind of, feel a bit reluctant to come in. And we have to be so much more, as, as you know, I'm an editor, you know, I've sort of been around a long time. And, you know, I ha we have to protect them in a way I certainly never had to be protected because I remember when I was a young journalist we'd get like nasty phone calls and nasty letters and stuff but it's always at arm's length yeah. or something unless they turn up at the door you know yeah. it's pretty much at arm's length but now it's like every every story every social media post there's just a litany of nasty personal comments if you do anything on video you get absolutely annihilated um, so it, it is something that needs looking at across the whole of society not just in a political sense. Really I think we should also talk about the fact that, that women get it so much worse than men. Yeah, yes. If you talk to yeah. female MPs about what they get, and then you talk to male MPs about what they get, they, female MPs get it much worse. You know, to, to a, female male, a female MP and a male MP vote the same way on something. The female MP is far more likely to get really nasty, unpleasant threats than the male. In fact, I, I see that sometimes. If I uh, retweet uh, something that a female colleague has written, and then I see then the abuse that, you know, I'm getting because it, and I think it's just, just, somebody's just written a news story, literally just reported on something that's happening. And it's this personal, vile stuff. Uh, but then it's, but then, you know, we feel like we've got to be online, Nicola, to, to do our jobs. You have to have a presence, but it does make you think twice about things you're going to say, things yeah. saying where you're going to be. Like, uh, it really does. Just have a chilling, um, chilling I think effect. as women, we're always criticised 
for our appearance, what we look like, you know, it's taken from that little image on your social media, that, you know, your little profile picture. Uh, and you just, you know, the things that are said, I mean, I recently had an issue with a young reporter and I had to like really protect her because she was, she was in tears, you know, and she's not, she's not, you know, she's quite, you know, resilient, resilient person, but it just got too much. Yeah. And then the, the worst thing would be if that forced a good reporter out of, out of the industry. Yeah, and that's exactly what we want, to report yeah. on the stuff that yeah. he's reporting on. Uh, the th- one of the things you've been reporting on in your, your Blackpool patch, have you had Sajid Javid uh, yes. uh, yesterday? Was it yesterday? Yes, yes. it was yesterday. Probably talking about health, first big health speech. Why do you think he chose Blackpool? What was the, what was the, the, the well, rationale? Blackpool is the poster child for kind of poor public health in many ways. Unfortunately, we have like one in ten people in Blackpool currently registers too sick to work. Um, among other things, um, you know, we have extremely high levels of, you know, poverty, uh, poverty and uh, huge issues around that. Plus, we have obviously kind of a because of Blackpool and the resort and the glittering lights and the nature of the industry, a lot of people in temporary work, zero contracts, that kind of thing with little security. Um, I mean, particularly yesterday, we were talking about health and mental health as well, which is which huge, hugely, uh, you know, critical across the country. But in Blackpool, it's just getting to that point where, you know, something more needs to be done. And actually, Blackpool's sort of leading the way in trying to deal with it. But we've just got such a large problem. Um, yeah, it's just Blackpool's just it's just got the kind of they're not very good end of the stick. Yeah. Put it that way over the years, and it's about leveling up health yeah, and social it care. Go, it goes to yeah. exactly to a leveling up, and you've t- you've written about this in your column as well today, James, um, focusing on Michael Gove's uh, new responsibilities uh, to 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 level up. Yeah, and I, I pers- at the moment you see, I think Boris Johnson wants leveling up to to take in things like. Uh, health inequalities, the fact that life expectancy in Blackpool is, 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 is 10 years less than it is in the southeast. But I actually think if levelling up is going to succeed as a policy, it needs to be much more tightly focused. I think it needs to be focused on, on kind of economic growth and devolving power down. And I think if you do those things, the other things that, 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 that like, like the health inequalities and uh, pride in place, they will follow. I think you've got to get the economics right first, though. I mean, that is the most important part of leveling up. I think at the moment, they are trying to, they are trying to, they're trying to stick everything under this banner. And if you do that, it will stop being a kind of actionable policy agenda and just become a slogan like Build Back Better. What do you think, Nicola? Is it, is it, if, if, if something could be done about the economy in Blackpool, would the other stuff follow? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well, I don't know if necessarily follow automatically, but I think it would allow it would us do to harm. do something about yeah, yeah. it. I think yesterday um, in his speech, he was saying that, you know, we're trying to put aside, yes, as economic, um, you know, disparity, but health is more important. But then we didn't really get a feel of how how that all kind of pulls together. And there's a lot, all the right things were said yesterday. If all these things happen, it'd be brilliant. Yeah. But um, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of scepticism. The people of Blackpool are just, oh, it's just more, more buzzwords, more buzzwords. You know, it doesn't really mean anything to our lives. How's that going to affect us? And literally, this is what's going to be key for, for Boris Dodds, isn't it, uh, James? He's managed to spend two years promising things. But by the time of the next election, whether Boris Dodds likes to admit it or not, the Conservatives will have been in power for 13, 14 years. And he's going to need to show some progress on this stuff, isn't he? Yeah, and I, I think one of the things is that COVID has made it more challenging. I think one of the things that people use as a proxy for how their place area is doing is what does the high street look like? And obviously, the high street has been hit really hard by COVID because, you know, there's far greater that COVID has accelerated that move to online retail. Um, at the expense of a high street. And so I, I think that is the challenge. But I think, the, I think one of the crucial things is 
more um, more local mayors. I, I think you know there's some polling out from Gordon Brown's think tank this week shows people think who people who've got a mayor in England think that their mayor is five times are five times more likely to think that their mayor understands them better than their MP. And if you look at the success that mayors are having, you know, whether it's Andy Burnham in Manchester or Andy Street in the West Midlands or Ben Houchin in Teesside, I think you really see how having a mayor actually acts as a kind of focal point and leads to better outcomes, helps bring investment in and, and, and joins up, you know, skills policy with transport policy, for example. It's really important things like that. Yeah, maybe that's what you need, Nicola. You need a mayor of Blackpool. Definitely, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, we'd like that. <laughs> That's Nicola, Adam and James Forsyth there. And you can read James in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesredbox. Up next is my walkabout with Lindsay Hoyle. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now, this is what happened when I hit the town and had a tour of Chorley with the common speaker, Lindsay Hoyle. I invite Sir Lindsay Hoyle to take the chair of the House. I stand by what I've said, I stand firm, that I hope this House will be once a great respected House, not just in here, but across the world. I want to repeat the point I made earlier. It is entirely unacceptable the government did not make today's statement announcement to the House first. It was disrespectful to the House and to our constituents. The government clearly planned that the media would be told information today not far from this chamber and that this House would have to wait until tomorrow. Just to say, just to remind the Prime Minister, it's Prime Minister's questions. It isn't about the agenda of last general election. Can you start that? Let's start off as we mean to go on. Now, the Shadow Chancellor may not have been the Chancellor, but he should have the courtesies and should know better than actually. We want no advice from the government. Should know better than to display it. I don't wish to see it. Otherwise, it is not a good position to put us in.
Jesse Hoyle, uh, over the past couple of years, well, uh, now he's bringing this big international conference to Chorley, the world's media descending on Lancashire, including Times Radio, of course, and he's very keen to showcase what the town has to offer. So just before we came in on air this morning, he gave me a tour of the town. Here he is. Nice to see you, Mark. We finally made it to Chorley. Thank goodness. We've been waiting all this time. The flags are out, the bunting's up. What more do you want? I can't believe the welcome you've laid on. There's security everywhere. People are obviously very concerned about my safety. Well, they know of you. You know, <laughs> somebody coming from the deepest south coming to the north, you know. Just a bit of a Lancashire welcome for you. And it's amazing. Everywhere we've been, people have been talking about the fact you've got Nancy Pelosi coming to Chorley. Absolutely. It's a big draw, isn't it? You know, in fairness, you were the draw as well last night, as I understand at the football club. I was. Well, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later on. Right, so we're going to go on a sort of little walkabout around town. Is that right, Lindsay? Absolutely. Let's uh, as we walk down for Sadley Street. So um, for people who haven't been, describe Chorley. What's it? I mean, a typical market town, a typical market town. It's it's. The market is the heart of the town. You know, it, it brings people in from all over. You get people, coaches coming in to go to Chorley Market. They even talk about it on Coronation Street. I'm going to Chorley Market, you know. So it is a draw. We're very lucky. We're a market town that's, you know, got a big population around it. We've got villages. We've got Ashley Hall that's in the centre. You know, I just, my affinity to Chorley is that I was born and brought up here. So I'm completely biased. I'm upfront <laughs> about it. You know, I'm a true Lancastrian, but I was born in Chorley first. Now, um, because everyone's been giving me different advice on this, uh, Chorley cakes, how do you eat them? Chorley cakes, what you've got to do is put butter on them. You do need butter. You do need butter. Hot, are they warm or cold? Well, you could have them out of the oven. But actually, you know, most people, well, hopefully you're going to try one. No, I'm going to, but everybody's going to be giving me different advice. Hot and cold, butter, no butter. See, you've got Pat's cheese stall there. (laughs) Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. Uh, And then somebody else said you should put jam on them. Well, some people might. Some people might want to put marmalade on. But my recommendation will be with the chorley cake is put the butter on the chorley cake. Now, explain why we are... I mean, it's nice nice of me to come to chorley at last, but uh, why, why we're in chorley right now? What is it you're doing this weekend? We've got the speakers' conference, the G7 speakers' conference, and this was, you know, do we do it in London? That was the big question. Everybody does things in London. Nancy Pelosi said to me, who was the host last year in the States, she said, I want to come to your district. Once I worked out district meant constituency, I got (laughs) over that, I was all right. And basically, she suggested, and I thought, well, why not come to Chorley? I'm proud of Chorley, I want to show Chorley off, I want to showcase it. So... I thought, great idea, let's get on with it. So who have you got coming? Nancy Pelosi, obviously Speaker of the House of Representatives in the United States. Who else is coming? We've got the Italians, we've got the French, we'll have the European Union. They're coming over to Chorley. Um, as I understand it, the Nancy's in the air coming into uh, Lancashire and I believe the Italians are also landing a very similar time. Um, the Europeans are coming by train and the French are coming up. I presume up into Manchester, and we've got cars to pick them up. Good morning, good to see you. You're okay, good to see you. Yeah, like a like, local celebrity here, Lindsay. Um, and uh, high on the agenda is this question of um, security. And obviously, we've saw, you know, in America earlier this year, the Capitol riots. Four years ago, we saw the terror attack in Westminster. There's a shooting in the Canadian Parliament too. Is this a real sort of concern of yours and the uh, uh, and Nancy Pelosi's too about how you keep parliamentary buildings secure? without turning it into a fortress? 
Yeah, it is. It's about secure parliaments versus open parliaments. So we don't close parliaments to the public. This is literally about making sure it's open and accessibility. It's about sharing that information, that knowledge. As we know, we had the terrorist attack on our parliament in the UK, on Westminster. We know the Canadians also suffered with the same terrorist, same style of terrorist attack. And we know that Capitol Hill was all about mob. Mob rule, taking over their capital, their parliament. And it's about sharing that knowledge to make sure that doesn't happen again. Good morning. And, and it's all making sure that you pull this together to share that information. And how do we do that? You know, Because my belief is, I believe in parliament, but I also believe in people coming into parliament, not just for politicians. This is about access to democracy. So secure versus openness is the big theme. Also, the effects of social media. The benefits of social media are fantastic, but the dangers of social media is also a worry, isn't it? You know, that we see people being inspired online, using social media to attack. Capitol Hill was organised via social media. We know that people will be... We've, we've seen it and we watch it and we cover it. Threats against MPs. We should rate that woman MP. How dare people think in that way? You know, people are carrying out. They've been elected to serve the people. And yet other people who don't believe in our values want to stop us. And it's making sure that we put the protection in. And it's about the big discussion to ensure the protection of Parliament, protection of politicians, protection of the staff and their families. You know, it's that threat that we've got to deal with. Would you like to see more done, through, maybe even through legislation, to... Uh, so that social media companies do, do, do more to step in to tackle the threats that are made against politicians? I, I, I believe we've got to work together on this, and that's part of what we'll be discussing. Quite rightly, I'd like to believe that you don't need to legislate. I'd like to believe that they will do that without legislation. We've are you, are you talking to them? Have you been in contact with Twitter, yes. Facebook, that sort of thing? Yes, we have. I've had meetings in the past because posts not being taken down quickly enough and actually monitoring what's being put up there. I want them to be more responsible. If they're not responsible, of course you have to do legislation. But I'm not a person that believes that you need to sanction. Just common sense and doing the right thing is what I expect of social media companies. Now, one of the things that I noticed the other day, I wrote the story about how you told MPs to smarten up. No chino. You look very smart today. You've got a, got a jacket and tie on. I've got, I've got my Chorley scarf on. I didn't dare put chinos in the blazer on, did I? <laughs> I knew what you would do to me. So, those are, the, so those, are the, those are the rules. And I wrote this story about how there are these new rules and people should look smart and all of that sort of thing. And i tell you what, the thing I got back so many times on Twitter was, never mind what MPs are wearing, why can't you, as Speaker of the House of Commons, do something about lying in the House of Commons? And, uh, you know, there was, uh, this has come up a few times, MP, you know, accusing Boris Johnson of lying and so on and so forth in the House of Commons. And, uh, and then they get thrown out for doing so. Is it your role? Answer that question. Why don't you intervene when someone t- says something in the House of Commons which is known to be untrue? Why don't you, as the common speaker, intervene? Well, I would say is, first of all, they don't give me the powers. I'm an impartial speaker. I'm not a political speaker. I would have to make a political judgment on whether I believe it's right or wrong. And that's the reality of it. What I expect is politicians to actually treat the House with respect and give them the best information they can. Don't forget, there is a big assumption that we, we think they know the answer. And I think that's part of the problem. People say, well, he didn't answer the question. Well... Most people ought to remember, they may not know the answer, and that's the truth of it. Because if you're getting a question that you've not been briefed for, you either make something up 
or you don't answer the question. And that's what the biggest challenge comes. It's not my job to be able to police. I wish they would. If they want a political speaker, I'm more than happy to become a political speaker. But at the same time, don't complain about not giving me the power and the rules enabled to do it. And quite rightly, it frustrates people frustrates people out there frustrates me as well you know i'd love to join in from the chair but part of that impartiality is and that's what they said to me they want an impartial speaker here are the rules that the speaker should should use and that's what i do i work with the rules i've been given and i think everybody from whatever political side of the house would recognize that i am an impartial speaker so you'd like to be a sort of live fact checker sitting in the sitting in the chair and being able to intervene and say no 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 prime minister that's a big that's a big porky. I'll tell you what I'd like to I'd like to sit in there with a the political power but we've decided we don't want a political speaker. What would that mean in practice though the political power? Well you, you know you could be tempted to use and we've seen Nancy Pelosi and we you know she's a political power all right you know and she's happy to stand up and she's happy to speak out because she's been given that power. I haven't got the same power as Speaker Pelosi. We decided in our parliament we want an impartial speaker, a bit like a mayor of a town. Yeah. You know, we, you'll be meeting the mayor later. Yeah. And Stephen was a politician like myself as the mayor of Chorley, but he can't share politics from the chair. And I think that's what it's about. It's about recognising being impartial to be fair to all sides of the chamber. It's not just about one party, it's about all parties. I'm there to represent backbenchers. I'm there to support backbenchers. It is their chamber. It is the chamber that I wish to protect. Lovely. Well, let's, well, let's continue our tour of uh, Chorley. Where are you taking me now? Well, should we go and see if Malcolm, I think he's open, actually. There you are. You must be in town. Malcolm's open a half an hour early. So this is Ma- Malcolm's music land. This is going back in time. Where nothing changes. <laughs> so in ha- fact, vinyl went out of fashion, but Malcolm kept it going. <laughs> and now it's come back again. Yeah, so this is, this, is a, this is an amazing build. So it's Old Baptist Chapel, 1848, it says upstairs. Um, tell you what, you... Li- you li- advertises what's in the town in one window and his music on the other. Lovely stuff. You go, you go, go on in. You, you go on in. Here we go. Let's go and find Malcolm. Morning, Malcolm. Morning, I'm Matt from the times radio how are you doing nice to see you nice to see you so how long have you been here 49 years 49 years the shop's been here for yeah wow we were just discussing how you had vinyl vinyl went out of fashion you kept going and now you've bought it back again no it's back again yeah (laughs) you've still got the original frames (laughs) i've still got my original racks from first time round. And are you in here a lot, Lindsay? Do you come in and buy your vinyl? I do indeed. Uh, He's in every week. <laughs> what's he, what does he buy? Because he'll try to say something different. What does he really buy? He, he likes soul music. Soul music. Motown. Yeah. Motown. Yeah. So I, I, I usually go through and, and just try and what, what's, catch, what's come out on vinyl that I might have on a CD. So I like a bit of everything in music. Um, but I've got to say, I'm, I'm a big Motown fan. The history of Motown. Who's your favourite? If I've got to say, when Berigardi set up the Motown, it's all the different bands, the different types of music, but it's the political message within those songs that really matter to me. You know, Marvin Gaye is something very special. I've got to say that. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's not only is it the catchy tunes, but as I say, it's about the rights of America, about young America, about young black musicians breaking through, not only in this country, but around the world. It's like Desert Island Distance. And what, Malcolm, what's selling well at the moment? What's, what's, what's popular in Chorley? What's in the sort of Chorley top ten? Pink Floyd. Is it? Uh, on, vinyl, on vinyl. Pink Floyd. Every, every day. <laughs> every day. Dire Straits. The old established one. I mean, going up to Christmas, 
uh, it's going to be ABBA. Uh, oh, of with course. With the new album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the back catalogue's starting to sell now, so yeah. it's, you know. People are rediscovering it. it, it yeah, they're getting back to They did downloads. They've got tired of that. Vinyl's come back. They, they, they get the sleeve out. They can read it. And it's a lot better than the CDs. CDs is coming back to some of the youngsters now that they're in to CDs. Oh, CDs are now coming back. Yeah. Everything's retro. Sure. No. Anybody, I, anybody come in and ask for tapes? Well, cassette, no, cassettes, are, they are reissuing cassettes yeah. now, so it's a small market, yeah. that. Yeah. But, uh, All that twiddling it with a pencil. Malcolm's still got eight track. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, Malcolm used to actually be in charge of the Springfields, Dusty Springfield. He used to run the fan club. No, no Helen Shapiro. Helen was. Shapiro, not Dusty oh, Springfield. Oh, my word. No, but Dusty, I knew Dusty. Because we brought a few of them to Charlie, yeah. you know. Dusty. So who's the biggest stars you've had in the shop? Uh, the Dooleys, the Norlands. I used to supply them when they were on tour with the product. So, yeah, when I was first starting out, which was good revenue stream. 49 years. And after COVID and lockdown and all that, you're back and business yeah. booming? Yes. Terrific stuff. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for showing us around the shop. There's not many shops like me around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it's terrific. Michael, thanks very much for, uh, okay. for, for letting us drop in. Okay. So, let's, so let's wander back down uh, towards the market now then, uh, Lindsay. So, I mean, you're clearly having a lot of fun. You're hosting the, you know, your, your international colleagues in Chorley. How long, how long do you think you'll be the speaker for? I don't know. As long as the House will put up with me, I suppose. Yeah. I think that's the reality of it. It's about knowing when is the right time to go. But the other thing is, it's, you know, I'm, I'm like new to the job. I'm new to actually putting the chamber back to how it should be. And, and so I suppose you got, you got the job in, what, 2019, and then you had a couple of months in the chair, and then the COVID happened. It's been a bit weird since. Absolutely. First of all, straight away, we have an election a couple yeah. of days after. We get the election, then we have Christmas, and then, as you say, we're then into COVID. So it's been a real challenge in that sense, um, you know, to, to know what normality of being a speaker is. And so, therefore, it's like a new beginning again, actually sitting there with MPs, going to do the right thing. Hi, you're right. Morning. So it's about you know working, working, working with the chamber, getting back into the job. So I've got to say, I'm really enjoying it. I'm still excited to be the speaker. I think once you lose the enjoyment and the excitement, it's time to back up. Lindsay Hoyle there speaking to me uh, as we went around Chorley. Now, one of the famous sons of Chorley is none other than Steve Pemberton who you'll know from the League of Gentlemen. And before I headed north, I caught up with him uh, to find out what it was like growing up in the town. I was actually born in Blackburn, and um, all my family are from Blackburn, and so my earliest years uh, were in a little uh, place called Abbey Village, which was literally one street with, uh, you know, two up, two down houses, and a big mill, huge mill and mill pond. And then um, when I was... Uh, probably about nine or ten, we moved to Chorley to a brand new house. So I went from this tiny village to the, the, the glittering lights of Chorley. And um, so that's where I went to school and, and yeah, I, I, I grew up there. Uh, and what, what was it like as a, as a place? You, you joke about it being the glittering lights, but what's your uh, memory of it as a town? And obviously you've been through a lot of, you know, industrial change and that sort of thing. What was it like when you were growing up there? Yeah, I mean, pretty normal, really. Like like a lot of uh, northern towns, it's got its uh, history with uh, cotton mills and a bit of coal mining. So, but it didn't feel overly industrial. So this is, you know, uh, the sort of very late seventies going through the eighties. It had 
it, it, I mean, Blackburn is where I was born, and Blackburn had more of an air of, I don't want to say desolation, but you felt the loss of those industries more. You know, there's, there was a, a lot of uh, poverty there. But Chorley, I think, was quite a, um, you know, a bit more affluent. And uh, it was a market town. It was always quite busy. But, yeah, I mean, when it's the centre of your world, you you kind of, yeah, you just think it's pretty normal. And do you do you, uh, you sort of tread the boards for the first time in Chorley? Did you, did you um, start developing your love of drama and acting and performing in front of an audience when you were in Chorley? Yes, well, Chorley's got a fabulous theatre called Chorley Little Theatre. Uh, or they may have taken a little out now of the, of the cycle, <laughs> but uh, I, was, uh, I was the only boy who was doing drama in my school. But yeah, I, I auditioned for um, the Diary of Anne Frank, which uh, the Amateur Dramatic uh, Society were doing in Chorley. I was the only boy to turn up, so I got the part. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's where, that's where it came from. But like I say, there wasn't this, I don't come from a family which has a huge cultural leanings there was no sort of theatre trips or, or books so I don't know where it came from but definitely Chorley was where I flexed my artistic muscles and um, I've got to ask you as a big fan of the League of Gentlemen um, is there any similarity between Chorley and Royston Daisy <laughs> did you draw all, any of the people there uh, that we could say maybe have been you know born out of your your growing up in Chorley well, we had a fabulously eccentric deputy head teacher at our school, St. Michael's, uh, Mrs. Dowding, and uh, a number of people have asked me whether Pauline, the job centre <laughs> worker, was based. She had this sort of way of chuntering and chewing on her tongue. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of what we did when we got together as a League of Gentlemen, we're all from different parts of the North, and we all compared notes, and we came up with this identikit <laughs> northern town made from different parts of, of our upbringings. And I'm sure a lot of people who've been brought up in the north will recognise something of where they lived in Moiston Basie. Well, to be honest, but, I grew up in Somerset and I could completely identify several of the of the yeah. types. The types, obviously, you do, you know, you slightly turned it up to a, up to eleven. If you want to know what what Charlie's like, there's a fabulous clip on on YouTube of um, a man outside a pub um, who's walking his ostrich, and and some kids <laughs> pull up in a car and start filming him on their phone. It's a, there's a lot of swearing in it, just to warn you. But, um, <laughs> He says, it's not an ostrich, it's an emu. <laughs> and he's walking, <laughs> he's walking this emu on a lead outside the pub. And that, when I saw that, I thought, yeah, that's Charlie. But you always had your, in your mind that you were going to do, Charlie. You didn't do any sort of, I don't know, Saturday jobs or, or part-time jobs or whatever in Charlie. Or did you, or maybe I did, did, I did. I, I, I collected glasses in a pub, um... A place called the Bowling Green Pub, and that was pretty brutal. I mean, if you know, back in the days when people were smoking in pubs, if you tried to take someone's glass away and there was the, the two millimeters of foam at the bottom of it, they, they'd, they'd get the fag end on the back of your hand. Hey, not finished with that yet. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's 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 what I did. Um, but yeah, I uh, I loved, like I said, doing it, the Amdram in Chorley and and doing the school play. So. Um, but yeah, pub work was was about it for me. That's one upside. Another unexpected upside of the smoking pan is you can't get you know a cigarette burns exactly. on, the back, on the back of your hand. Yeah. And, and um, I've got it. I mean, clearly, I mean, I'm a, inside number nine is just a work of genius, and I don't know how you manage basically to create a whole new thing for every week. But is there any prospect of the League of Gentlemen ever coming back? 
I think we'll need to have a little bit more time pass. I would never say never. Um, we love doing live shows and, and we love those characters. And people have such fondness for them, even though they're absolute monsters. People are so fond of those characters. <laughs> so as the sign says, as you know, Matt, you'll never leave. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the debate? Because I, mean, I think there's been various times it's been on and off streaming shows and that sort of thing. And people concerned about Papa Lazarou and, uh, and all of that. Do you think you could make it? today or in the future in the same way that you did before do you think you've got to be more more sensitive to um to some of the concerns that people have raised yes i think so i think you know times move on and uh i i think you know what the bbc are doing putting up um you know uh warning signs at the front i have no problem with that at all then people make a decision but most of the people coming to the league of gentlemen know it's a dark humor they know uh, if they're going to be um, sensitive about certain things, but uh, it might not be for them. And, and that's absolutely fair enough. But I think, yeah, as writers, you do move with the times. Uh, and I think that's that's fine. Um, we would do that. But when we brought the show back in 2017, we certainly didn't um, bend over backwards to strip out what made it so successful in the first place. And, and I don't think you'd ever do that. So it's a fine line that you're treading all, all the time. And... Um, yeah, it's it's a hard job for uh, <laughs> for new people coming into comedy now because I think there are so many uh, areas you wouldn't want to go into. Do you think in, is it a bit easier for for you and Mark and Reese because you've got a huge back catalogue and an established uh, name and and face that you, you maybe can you can you do more things, push more boundaries? Do you think than someone coming new into it who's worried about being cancelled either by a commissioner or by Twitter? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, you know, we have our fan base already um, and we have a, a track record. And, you know, we've always uh, had, had a line to tread uh, when, when it comes to uh, you don't want to repulse people or turn people off, off your show. But at the same time, we all enjoy uh, certainly the three of us, the four of us do in The League of Gentlemen, that sort of very dark humour and laughing at things that perhaps you ought not to laugh at. And that's what our lots of groups of friends do. You know, when you're together with your your mates, you do laugh at those types of things. So the fact that we have this uh, 30 odd years of friendship uh, emboldens us and, and it gives us um, a bit more license, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we're constantly sort of um, trying to do new things and, and constantly not trying to stay relevant. I mean, I don't think people are outside like they are in Sheffield saying we don't want <laughs> Chubby Brown. Who is the real Royston Basie, you know? He's, uh, <laughs> yeah, because that's his real name. name from, yeah. Yeah, so I don't think people will be picketing Chorley Little Theatre saying we don't want the League of Gentlemen coming back. But, um, you, you know, it's, it's right and proper that you are sensitive to the, you know, the times and move with the times. And just on inside number nine, because it is so loved and obsessed over, um, uh, if, do you have a, a favourite episode? I mean, you were saying you're now know, onto the seventh series. Each mm. one, this sort of perfectly formed, self-contained playlist, I suppose. Um, do you have a favourite? I, I really can't pick a favourite. It's, it's so hard. I mean, um, I, I love ones which uh, are outside of the norm. So something like A Quiet Night In, which has no dialogue in it. Yeah, yeah yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we did one in the fifth series called Love's Great Adventure, which was really stripped back and part improvised and very unlike all the other episodes. And I, I love that one. That's partly inspired by, you know, my upbringing and a northern family and... and uh, lots of my roots are in that one. 
And some of the ones we're doing now in Series 7, unbelievably, I think, oh, yeah, this could be one of the best ones. You know, the one I'm filming now with uh, with Mark, and uh, that's going to be very special, I think. So you're constantly trying to keep ahead of the audience and uh, and keep doing things that are going to keep surprising people. And that's the challenge we've got, and um, hopefully people will keep enjoying them. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.